Welcome to Sustainable Business Fridays. I'm your host, Katie Elman. Sustainable Business Fridays is the first podcast of its kind, bringing together students in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, not-for-profits, social entrepreneurship, and more. Twice monthly, these conversations go live via iTunes and Google Play. This week, I'm joined by Bard MBA student and sustainability professional, Alistair Hall, and we're speaking with Tom Zaki, CEO and founder of TerraCycle. Tom, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon, and I'm gonna turn it over to Alistair. Great. So, hi, Tom. Uh, pleasure to meet you. I'm Alistair Hall. I'm a second-year MBA student at Bard. Um, and so I thought we could just dive right into some questions. Um, Fantastic. Happy to be here, by great. the way. Cool. Um, thanks so much for your time. So uh, I think a lot of people out there, you know, know about TerraCycle and how you, like, offer free recycling programs and that it, many of them are funded by brands and, the, like, manufacturers, right? Um, and so I was hoping maybe you could just like kick things off by sharing a little bit of how, how this business model came to be and what the inspiration for it was. Absolutely. Um, well, so TerraCycle started 15 years ago, um, and uh, we've evolved quite a bit. You know, at the very beginning, TerraCycle's business model uh, it was it was always around solving waste. You know, I was very inspired around the concept of garbage when I was a freshman at a university in, in, in undergrad, and I wanted to start a business whose purpose wasn't just making profit, uh, but was also uh, uh, trying to look at uh, how we can help the planet and people. That whole triple bottom line idea, and uh, so I started TerraCycle out of my dorm room, uh, and we have uh, the passion was around waste. Uh, that was the, the critical issue we were trying to solve. We first started looking at solving it by making products out of waste. Um, and we became quite successful. Uh, uh, over uh, a few-year period, we grew into a, a $6 million business uh, with clients like Walmart, Target, Home Depot, major retailers, selling uh, products like worm poop in a soda bottle made from waste, packaged and made entirely from garbage. And it was you know, quite exciting. But we realized you know, early in our history that um, if we focus on the finished product as the, uh, as the, uh, uh, the outcome, or as the hero, if you will, of the business uh, uh, concept, then we have to pick the very best ways to make the very best product. Um, and uh, we would never deal with garbage that is not so optimal uh, or clean, like cigarette butts, dirty diapers, chewing gum all of which, by the way, we recycle and collect today. And so about five years into our uh, business, we shifted our model to focus on garbage as the hero, the inbound as the hero, and the solution is, is uh, uh, sort of what can we make it into. Uh, uh, but now we're able to deal with hundreds and hundreds of different waste streams. We've invented the recycling solution to everything from chewing gum to uh, plastic gloves uh, and uh, uh, have grown quite a bit in the process. Today, TerraCycle operates in 24 countries around the world, from China and Japan to uh, uh, Western Europe, uh, Latin America, North America and so on. That's really great. And uh, yeah, I, I was um, so I was reading, I was watching uh, Human Resources last this past week and trying to sort of learn a bit more about the work you guys do and this creation of products out of like less desirable uh, garbage or waste yeah. is really fascinating. Um, and could, maybe you could share a bit about what that process is like, or how do you come up with these? you know, solutions for chewing gum or plastic gloves. 
Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, um, you know, in, in the animal kingdom, right, uh, or, in, or in the natural kingdom, let's say, because it's more than just animals, garbage doesn't exist. And it doesn't exist because the output of every organism is the input of uh, another organism. So there's no useless outputs. But to go one step deeper, it's not like there's one superorganism that eats every other organism's outputs. Instead, it's specific outputs to specific organisms. You know, so it's a different organism that eats a leaf that falls off a tree, different organism that eats the uh, you know, carbon and makes it into oxygen, uh, and so on and so forth. And I mention that metaphor because in garbage today, we have superorganisms that have been created to eat everything. They're called landfills and incinerators. And the real answer is every type of garbage is different. It has a different heartbeat. It's basically like a different animal. And so to solve the waste stream, you need to put three things together that may very well be different, uh, waste stream by waste stream. So um, uh, the three things are we have to collect it, how to get it from the point of origin to us in one of our warehouses. Um, and uh, that will be very different. Uh, you have to take into account the collection vehicles, the uh, uh, health and safety, cost, and then, of course, will people actually even do it? And I'll give some, a few examples of that in a, in a moment. Um, second is then we have to process it in some circular way, either upcycling, recycling, or reuse. Um, and I'll give some more color on that in a moment as well. And then finally, we need to weave a business model around it to make it make sense. Because if you take a step back, what makes something recyclable is uh, like an aluminum can or paper is that it's simply profitable to do so. Recycling companies can make money at it. What makes everything else in the world not recyclable, the mass majority of stuff, is that it costs more to collect and process it than it's worth. And so TerraCycle focuses on only those things that are not economically profitable to recycle and gets them recycled, which is where that business model question is very important. So just to break this apart, take collection. Collection can range from what we do with major cities, like the city of New Orleans to Los Angeles, Melbourne, you know, Paris, and Tokyo, and others, which is to run citywide uh, cigarette recycling programs or chewing gum recycling programs, where the infrastructure of collection is bins that have been put across the city. All the way to industrial collections, you know, where it's uh, large volume factory waste, you know, which is coming out in big truckloads all the way to consumer programs where people can download shipping labels off our website and send us things like uh, water filters, uh, toothbrushes, uh, cleaner packaging uh, to be recycled. And there's many, many others. But that's the first question is the logistics. Inside solution, there are five things you can do with garbage. Uh, going from the worst to the best is you can landfill it. That's the worst. Uh, then you can burn mm -hmm. it for energy. It's a little better. In circular solutions, we look first at reuse, which is refurbishing items, which is very popular in uh, clothing, electronics, textiles, and so on, where you just basically use it for what it was intended to be used for. Um, if reuse is not available, then we look at upcycling, which is like sewing juice pouches into backpacks and things like that. That has a wide range but low volume. And then the vast majority of our volume goes through our science department where it's technically recycled, taking apart the materials and then reconstituting those materials into uh, you know, new aluminum, new plastic, and, or composting organics. And then finally, it's about how do you, who pays the bill? How do you make it all work? So we have five stakeholders uh, that we work with. One is big consumer product companies like your uh, P&Gs, uh, uh, Unilevers, uh, uh, Colgates of the world, who fund uh, platforms uh, uh, that allow things to be recycled uh, by the public for free. The second category, stakeholder category, could be retailers. You know, today you can go to an office depot and drop a binder in, one of the t uh, in a TerraCycle recycling bin, or you could take your car seat back to Target or your cosmetics to a Kiehl's boutique, all through our platform and many other examples. Uh, the third uh, is factories, 
uh, for factory waste. The fourth is municipalities like cities. And then the fifth is uh, small business. And in each of these examples, we have to unlock not just uh, 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 why it's good for sustainability, but how this reinforces their classic bottom lines. So like a simple example is retailers do this because it drives more foot traffic. So that's very important when you bring out sustainability platforms is how does this really reinforce the basic function of the business you're uh, pitching or uh, presenting the idea to. Right. Uh, and have you had, do you feel that the pitch has had to vary from stakeholder to stakeholder on what most in inspires them to get involved with? Um, not just modestly, but wildly varies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if a retailer is interested in foot traffic, a city isn't. A city is interested in litter reduction to boost tourism, while a brand may be interested in market share increase. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so um, is there a piece of garbage that you are most proud of figuring out how to recycle or upcycle? Sure, for sure. Now, for me, I love the the crazy stuff, and I like the crazy stuff because it just makes the mind work. So, you know, uh, 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 we will be launching uh, in March uh, uh, the first national uh, chewing gum recycling program in the world in Mexico. Uh, uh, later next year, we'll be launching the world's first citywide uh, cigarette recycling program in uh, Holland. Sorry, sorry, not cigarette, a, a, a diaper recycling program. And then just a few years ago, we launched cigarette recycling across 11 countries nationally. So, um, you know, these are the ones that really get me, these sort of more gross ones, because, uh, you know, if you can solve those, you can solve just about anything. Yeah. Yeah, there's, uh, in one of the episodes, I think of, I'm, I'm still in the first season of Human Resources, but there is a quote you had of, you know, the world's going to end, but I know I can DIY my way out of it. <laughs> and I think that's, um, and so there's a it's a cool way in which you're addressing some of these like uh, you know the yeah the more gross parts of everyday life but they do need to be dealt with um, absolutely and, so, and yeah yeah no no and and by the way the one thing I wanted to point out is it's always important to do it from humor which is why we have our own yep. TV show which is actually a comedy not like a classic eco documentary which is all about you know negatives about uh, the environment and so on. Mm -hmm. Could you, uh, how did that, how did the, because the third season just aired you know, a few weeks ago, how did that um, uh, come about? You know, what, what led to the creation of a TV show? Well, we've always believed in a concept called negative cost marketing. Uh, and in fact, I'm writing a book on this topic. Um, the general idea of negative cost marketing is in today's world, why pay to be the advertising when you can get paid to be the content? So TerraCycle, you know, we do a little advertising, but not a lot. Instead, what we focus on is generating boatloads of publicity. Um, uh, and if you have unique, if you can tell your story well, um, you can do this easily. Uh, we today get about 20, 20 to 25 articles about us a day. So it, it works quite well. Um, and then once you've done that, you can start um, uh, blogging for places. You know, so like I write for a number of major newspapers. Some of them even pay us uh, to put out our information, like the New York Times and others. Um, once you do that, you can start writing books. I've done three of those. Um, you know, again, all generates revenue while creating content. And a number of other examples, but the TV show is perhaps the uh, cherry on the negative cost marketing cake in the sense that you know, we've now done uh, three seasons of Human Resources. Before we did that a season on the National Geographic channel called uh, Garbage Moguls. And every episode, you know, we get paid uh, to uh, bring people in to see what TerraCycle is all about. And, you know, you even said you watch the show. So that's uh, a way, you know, that we got your attention um, and we got paid in the process. It's just something really interesting and purposeful business is that you can do this. You know, you don't have to pay 
for advertising to generate awareness if you think about it in a slightly different way and you know take the TV show not only uh, does it air here in the US on uh, Pivot and you can also get on you know iTunes and Amazon but it airs in all over the world you know A&E distributes it in Europe or SBS2 in Australia and so on and so forth no, it's really neat, and it does get to your concept of kind of uh, closed loop, and you know, there's no such thing as garbage. Where you know, inputs, outputs for someone can become inputs for someone else. You know, it's the you know, yeah. advertiser. Well, I want. think I think a big lesson here is it's always important in innovation uh, to take a step back. So you know, for example, uh, uh, to t- you know, taking a step back you know, on this example. You have to look at the whole media landscape. You know, um, uh, in marketing or media, there is a significant amount of content need more than ever before. You know, there's way more media outlets, uh, uh, way more you know uh, a requirement of content. Yet uh, there is fewer and fewer providers, and so there's a great dis- you know uh, a gap of required content. And media places are paying for content, so you know that begs the question: Why not be the content? And that sort of metaphor of taking a step back and taking in sort of the state of the of the universe around a topic really helps in then bringing fundamental innovation ideas to bear. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, so just returning uh, momentarily to uh, the chewing gum uh, project that you're launching, what sort of so what kind of products will can chewing gum be turned into? So chewing gum uh, is uh, a uh, plastic polymer, basically. It's like a rubber, and uh, uh, that can be then injection molded at 35% into any sort of plastic product. Think of it as sort of 35% chewing gum and then uh, uh, 65% uh, gum packaging or other uh, 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 plastics. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's pretty cool. Uh, and are there... Um you know, any additional places where you see TerraCycle needs to go next? Or, yeah, you know, well, you know, for us, we're opening uh, China in next month. Uh, we just set up our office in Shanghai, and uh, 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 you know, that's a, that, that's a big new area for us. Um, Japan mm-hmm. was a big success. We opened that a few years ago, and so now we're really looking to expand more into the Asian marketplace. Uh, and so after China, uh, South Korea will go live, uh, as well as uh, Taiwan, uh, Singapore, India. Those are sort of the key areas we're focused on. And then from there, who knows, uh, uh, you know, what will be next. Uh, but we've had, uh, you know, it's been a really good uh, good area uh, for us and uh, really anywhere in the world where there's interest in solving waste, uh, you know, we try to be there. And when you launch into these international markets, are there specific products you have in mind or, you know, certain parts of the waste stream that you're looking to tackle? Or is it, you know, more customer you know, it's where it's. It's opportunistic. It's where there's interest, you know. So in mm-hmm. China, we're starting with oral care recycling and cosmetic recycling, uh, but it could be anything. And it's truly uh, where there's opportunity uh, and where there's interest to fund the solutions. Got it. So it may depend on whether there's city stakeholders or larger commercial sort of on the retailer end. It's, it's exactly very- right. That's that's yeah. right. We're we, we're out there. Uh, uh, we're you know pitching uh, uh, various partners. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know where we get wins, that's where that's where we do it. Great, great. I have a question on top of that. I'm sorry, Alistair. Um, no problem. Do you find, Tom, that it's easier to get into markets in Asia or Europe instead of you know North America? Is there is there more red tape in opposition, or is it? No, I would say if you know we talked about what markets work versus what markets don't. Um, 
the bigger developed markets do well, you know, are the ones we're good at. Like, you know, if you look at Latin America, we're in um, uh, Brazil and Mexico, but we're not in uh, El Salvador. We're not in uh, 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 Costa Rica and, you know, places, places like that. So, you know, for us, it's the big markets that are very important because they're ready to take a stand on, uh, on solving uh, for waste. Where we've had struggles in markets is uh, either micro markets, uh, so countries that are very small. Uh, it's, it's very expensive to operate in those sort of markets, and uh, uh, you know, it's hard to get the required funding. Uh, uh, you know, so that's uh, that's first. The other is we need markets where there's good female empowerment. So we've had a little trouble in, for example, Turkey was a country that we opened and closed, um, partly because there's very low female empowerment. Uh, this is what we, you know, at, at least in our experience. And m women are the folks who primarily uh, advocate for our programs and bring them into their various locations. Um, you know, so those are those are the key you know uh, pieces. Now we're trying to come up with business models that uh, allow us to enter into smaller markets. Uh, but right now it's really the larger markets. But you know between large markets, whether you're in Australia or UK or Canada, it's all uh, uh, similar and and and, uh, and relatively easy. Yeah, yeah. Have there been uh, you know Turkey is one example, but has or have there been products where it's been uh, more of a challenge to find either relevant stakeholders or make, try, making that business plan? Uh, work. Uh, yeah, I would say the more the more generic the waste. Like think bathroom waste. You know, not necessarily what goes down the toilet. That's pretty generic too. But like you know, the stuff you put into the garbage bin, like tissue paper. It doesn't have a lot of stakeholders who want to get involved in it. Versus something like branded waste. You know, where you know the stakeholders' logos printed all over the item. So um, that connection is critical uh, to be able to get mm -hmm. the success. Um, so the more generic the waste, the less people want to take a stand on it. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I um, we've tried to uh, do a I, where I work. We've been trying to do a paper towel composting program, and there was yeah, it just seemed to be arbitrary red tape rather than uh, you know feasibly it should be doable, but um, getting the interest and sort of energy and around it has exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and the key the key way to solve for this is you need to show the stakeholders how this will reinforce their classic ROI. You know, like how do you show a retailer not just you know and say not just that this is good for sustainability, but that this will drive foot traffic or whatever the uh you know, the piece may be. Yeah. That's a a valuable lesson that our, our grad program tries to reinforce for us that it's you know, uh sustainability is nice, but we can also we can also talk business and uh yeah. Yeah, you know, make the case. That's right. Yeah. Now, frankly, I wish um, that wasn't the case because you know, if you link sustainability only to profit making, you're gonna, you know, uh, miss a lot of things. But you know, until it is, at least let's uh, let's work within that and uh, get some success for everyone. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, looking at the waste system writ large, where do you think there are the next major challenges are? Like, what's the next piece of the waste system that needs to get solved? Absolutely. Look, the 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 biggest issue right now is America is anti-recycling as it pertains to mm -hmm. you know the waste uh, you know the uh, the overall waste system. You look at companies like Waste Management, the market leader in uh, in re, uh, in uh, recycling in the U.S. They're divesting from recycling and actively saying publicly mm -hmm. that recycling is bad business. Now, they may be empirically right today with low oil prices, uh, but um, but that is a key challenge. You know, when really uh, you know people should be uh, promoting recycling and so on. Now, Europe's a little different. Europe is uh, you know is quite uh you know pro recycling anti landfill you know so there's a little bit of a different uh, different approach in that marketplace 
Um, you know, but I think that's one big macro trend issue. But then the other is low oil prices don't help recycling, uh, and neither mm-hmm. does uh, market uh, 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 control. So like China put up the green fence, which uh, eliminates uh, or makes it very difficult to import waste to China for recycling. Now, they did that for a lot of good reasons, but that actually lowered America's recycling rates substantially. Could you elaborate on what the green fence is? Yes, absolutely. So China used to be the biggest market for uh, America's recyclables. You know, you'd put something in your blue bin at home that would then end up at a recycling center called a MRF. And then from there, they'd sort it out. They'd recycle what they can locally, but the vast majority was then put onto a pallet and shipped to China uh, to be recycled there. Now, uh, I said this was valid, and that's, it's valid because people did a lot of, you know, sent, sent a lot of bad materials uh, abroad, uh, things that they shouldn't have sent. And because of that, China reacted by putting up what they call the quote-unquote green fence, which basically made it exceptionally, exceptionally hard uh, to be able to um, uh, 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 recycle, oh, sorry, to, to export these materials. And basically the market for a lot of recyclers evaporated. And, uh, and, and then people just stopped recycling those things. And it's why in the U.S. for 40 years, recycling rates used to go up, and they just recently, for the past two years, have been on a decrease. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of wild. You know, there's been the so there's a couple there's been a couple of national articles about like the death of recycling and whether it's yeah is the case still there for it. Um, and so you've you've identified oil prices as a major player and yes. some of these in, international dynamics of China. Um, what do you think are some ways in which we could get around that? Well, the only way, so, you know, oil is the key driver because if oil is cheap, recyclers can't compete. And so, you know, look, obviously we can all hope for high oil prices. Uh, uh, That's not something that's going to be easy for individuals to influence. So the key thing we can do is to, um, uh, 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 is to try to think about ways to not rely on the material value of, of waste to finance its recycling, which is what we try to do, unlock other benefits. You know, so it's like an office wanting to recycle its coffee capsules, not because the coffee capsules will pay for itself, but because maybe the employees will like it much more, maybe because they'll fulfill some sustainability goals, maybe because their clients may choose, you know, uh, a smile a little bit more when they walk into the office. Right. Right. So it's tapping into those additional stakeholders and Challenges. Additional ROI is the critical, critical, critical piece. Yeah, great. Um, so, uh, so a number of uh, folks maybe listening in or in our grad program are aspiring entrepreneurs, and maybe or either, or maybe there's also undergrads out there, college students wondering about what to do uh, uh, post college. You know, what what advice would you give for a uh, aspiring entrepreneur or or student out there? The first thing I would say is that you don't have to choose between making money and doing good. Uh, I think we probably all know that at this point in time. But it's not just even that. It's that the... When you do, an, uh, you know, like if we're a for-profit organization, and when you create a for-profit organization that is purposeful, the purpose itself is tremendously valuable. You don't see it on a, on a P&L, you know, statement or anything like that, but purpose gets you talent. Um, great talent uh, uh, comes into the front door uh, and is not asking about salary first. Asking about, you know, sort of getting fulfilled by purpose first. It opens doors like you wouldn't believe, you know, uh, to leadership, to access, and so on. Um, uh, it makes it easier to get noticed, uh, have uh, articles written about you. All sorts of things. Purpose is tremendously, tremendously valuable and something people are focusing in on more and more and more. And so I'd really encourage people to consider purposeful business when starting a business versus just money making as the sole purpose of a business. Great, great. Um, 
And going along those lines, are there, uh, you know, ways in which business could do a better job being more purpose-driven than uh, uh, than conventional? And <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, uh, there absolutely could be uh, many, many things. Um, but the most important, I think, is look at purpose as a driver, you know, uh, and focus on trying to say, look, let's make all of our traditional activities purposeful uh, versus, uh, you know, just focusing on profit as the only driver. I think that's really important, and I think consumers mm-hmm. will reward those businesses, uh, you know, with their uh, with their uh, with their loyalty, with their dollars. Absolutely, that's what. Yeah, absolutely. That's certainly time we would hope for. Tom, you're such a busy person. Um, You're in media, you're just, even you're making time to speak with us right now. How do you, how do you do this? Is this just how you're wired? I mean, that's, it's so No, I have, I have, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, you know, I have a son and wife and so I spend, you know, I always make sure to spend time there as well. Um, and the way to do it is you have to have a great team, a uh, great team who can, you know, you can really lean on and can help, uh, uh, you know, do a lot of the work. So I'm uh, able to speak to you now uh, because I have great people who are uh, who are out there um, and, you know, taking care of the business and making sure things, uh, you know, go in the right direction. Uh, I guess just along those lines, like, as you've been, uh, uh, have you had to spend much time traveling to all these different countries to establish these uh, new, new uh, operations? Absolutely, yeah. I spend about half my year on the road right now, um, you know, visiting uh, these various markets, meeting people, getting things going, visiting our teams if it's already an established market. So, yeah, it's a very big part of my job. And you touched on it a little bit, but when you started, you know, this business in your dorm room 15 years ago, did you think you would still be doing this now? And the second part of that also is how has this whole field changed as you've created this niche and also, you know, grown this business? Well, you know, I I guess I I never thought I'd be here today. I'm thrilled where we are. Um, There's always more to go. Um, But uh, yeah, I I didn't think that uh, that I would have made it this far. how it's changed is interesting. You know, 15 years ago, organic was just getting on the, you know, on uh, uh, on people's radar. Now it's a much bigger thing. Um, sustainability is interesting. It's ebbed and flowed. You know, some people would argue that it's, uh, you know, it's become uh, sort of trended a little bit, but it keeps coming back. And I think what people are finding that we're living in a sustainability moment. Um, you know, from whether it's the COP 21 in Paris uh, to other things, um, it's a key topic and it's something that we, have to take, we have to take exceptionally seriously because, um, you know, that's this is that uh, sort of, you know, the next hundred years. I think are not going to come down to wars and uh, and uh, that sort of uh, political shifts, but much much more to sustainability and how we take care of our planet and then how it reacts back uh, 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 to us. And so it's going to, I think it's a critical question. I think people are uh, agreeing with that, and that's why you see such momentum. And you know whether it's uh, schools teaching the topic of sustainability, um, business schools now thinking more about uh, sustainable business than just profit making business is the only thing they thought about. All these things I think really are bringing uh, you know creating more and more momentum. So. Um, I'm not. I'm seeing a trend in the right direction, which is wonderful, uh, and I hope it keeps going that way. Great. As a as a business, have you did you have any uh, involvement or participation in COP21, or do you see a role for the for the private sector in supporting um, sort of national or international efforts on addressing climate change? Oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, TerraCycle was involved. Uh, we were uh, we spoke there. Um, we're also involved in a lot of these sort of global platforms, whether it's the World Economic Forum uh, and and other uh, uh, you know such things. Um, 
And I think private business is going to be the vehicle, I mean, uh, to do it. It's the easiest way to create meaningful change. And ironically, it's also the vehicle that has put us in the situation we're in. So private business, I think, is absolutely critical. Um, ironically, is the generator of the problem, but, you know, then also is the solution uh, to the problem itself. Yeah, there's no, uh, again, the input-output, you know, it's in closed, closed circle. And I think that's very, you know, it's, it's a very inspiring thing for, you know, for folks thinking about starting business or getting into it is that the answer is business that is going to so clean up the problem and clean it up through business. And then you can get all the fulfillments of entrepreneurship while, you know, you get the benefits of, of, uh, of, of, uh, of um, you know, doing the right thing and, and feeling fulfilled like you would at, uh, working with an NGO. So I think the most important thing is in this whole topic of waste, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, TerraCycle, recycling, and so on. The, the actual big white elephant in the room is the real answer is none, none of this. Uh, the real answer is us as consumers consuming differently and not mm -hmm. uh, encouraging the purchase of products that even produce waste. Because we can't recycle our way out of uh, uh, these issues. We can just, that's sort of like a band-aid you put over the problem. And the nice thing too is if you agree with that, then uh, it's also good to note that consumerism is the genesis of almost every environmental issue on the planet. Whether you care about the fish in the ocean, the air quality, um, uh, uh, diversity of species, you know, 50% of the world's uh, species have gone extinct in the past 50 years, um, and, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, all of it is linked to consumerism. So it's easy to solve because we are the consumers as individuals, and we need to change our individual consumption habits to create the uh, world we want to live in. Yeah, that's a great, um, a great point to emphasize. And how do you... Um uh, do you see a role for TerraCycle sort of shifting shifting into this consumer change in consumer consciousness? Or um, well, yes, our role is is uh, you know saying it on like you know opportunities like today uh, and speaking to mm -hmm. you and the folks who may be listening. Um, and that's because it's very hard to get this, uh, this, uh, uh, and, you know, like this idea of shifting consumerism as something that you can get funding around. It's hard to get a, a big stage that's paid for because it's usually paid for by consumerism. So mm -hmm. the best way to share it is in moments, uh, you know, where I don't have, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of a client to think about or anything like that. And so this is a great opportunity to share that. I, I hope it resonates, and uh, you know, please continue sharing it in the moments you can. Absolutely, well, we will do our best. Uh, to do so. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank uh, you so much, Tom. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you yeah. both for your time. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you giving us the time today. Cool. Enjoy your weekend. You too. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Alistair, what made you interested in interviewing Tom? So... I, I would say I might be one of those aspiring entrepreneurs uh, working on waste issues uh, out there uh, one day. I, uh, uh, I think I've been thinking a lot about um, takeout waste from takeout containers, and I've had experience running a composting program. So um, uh, the concept that um, in nature there is no garbage and that everything is a uh, every output is an input for something else is, a, I think, a really beautiful idea. And so we, what are thinking about ways in which we can uh, adopt that model for our lived and built environment, uh, I think it's just like a really neat premise. And so um, I think 
yeah, one day I hope to also sort of be working in this field uh, uh, sort of waste transformation. And so it was a great opportunity to speak with. Uh, it was really fun to speak with Tom. You can learn more about TerraCycle by watching past episodes of Human Resources on YouTube and by visiting TerraCycle.com. Join us for the next Sustainable Business Fridays, where we'll be speaking with Adam Kearney, serial entrepreneur and CEO of Props Board. Bard MBA in Sustainability. Lead the change. Learn more at bard.edu.